0: Well, it's a real privilege to be sitting here with Andrea Williams of Christian Concern in your offices in the West End.
1: That's it. Yes, yeah. And Good in to the be thick here. of
0: the fray. As I see you coming in, you're already dealing with legal questions, where you're standing up for believers, where you're involved in dramatic fights that are clearly going on around you.
1: Yes. Well, um, you've come in on a busy, on a very busy day, actually, because <laughs> uh, the legal team is looking after the case of Alf, baby Alfie Evans, who um, where the court has ordered his life support to be removed despite the fact that we have uh, three hospitals that are willing and able to take him, uh, two in Italy and one in Germany and an ambulance crew ready to take him. It's been very fascinating in a sense in that in this case because the, the courts, the state has determined that this is not about the parents' rights but rather about what they say is Alfie's best interests. And what the court is saying is that Alfie's best interests would be served by having his life support removed. And the parents who are there with him, who took him to the hospital voluntarily for him to be treated, actually, as a child with a chest infection, not seriously ill at that time, um, they took him in. And um, he obviously now is very profoundly uh, unwell, um, but they want to be able to take him out, mm. to be with people that are prepared to look after him. Mm. And I find it very strange that the might of the state apparatus has come against him to say, no, the child's best interest will be served by him remaining in Alter Hay Hospital and for the life support to be removed. Mm. You know, even if if baby Alfie is going to die, his parents want to know that they've given him every chance. Mm. That's what they want to know. Mm. And they're being offered this chance. Mm. And... uh, they actually say he's becoming more responsive and certainly from the videos that I've seen and the testimonials I've seen, he opens his eyes, he sucks mm-hmm. his dummy, he holds his doll, he likes, He, you can see there's a response to chocolate being put on his lips. Mm-hmm. So it's. It, this is what we're dealing with actually at this moment. You're, you've come into the office and that's one of the things that we it's are dealing with. And I think that another, let me say that on this day, another thing that we're dealing with is... Um, this is, this is hard to hear, um, but it's, it's a reality, so I'm going to tell you what's happening in my day right here, right now. Is that we're dealing with a, a woman who's 27 years of age, but at 15, she was groomed. She was, groomed. Um, she was uh, kidnapped, in fact, and there was a research for her, but she became groomed um, by a group of six Muslim men. Um, and this was uh, in a, I won't I won't name the town at the moment but what's been extraordinary about knowing this woman over the last week or so is this story of being held captive being held cap basically being made to clean and then in the afternoon having to remain in her room and then for every night for three years she was raped by one of the by one of the gang. Um, She's had nine forced abortions, there's medical records to show this. But she also has two children. And I'm really looking again today at what what the state's response to that. What's been agonising for me is this, that three weeks ago this young woman, who I'm surprised that she's, she's even still standing, she's very remarkably articulate, and Social services have said she's capable of keeping a very clean house because that's what she had to do, Uh, capable of looking after the physical needs of the children, but that she's so damaged emotionally that she can't look after the emotional needs of the children. Mm. But what's fascinating is three weeks ago she had a child, a baby. She was led to believe that she's going to keep that baby, asked to go out, told to go out and buy clothes for the baby and everything else. That baby was taken and immediately removed from her. She was breastfeeding the baby. The baby was removed. And what I find so difficult is that as a, as a society, we can't keep that mother and child together. Understanding that that woman, where it's all been documented, the police have the records, mm. people have been in prison, and more, And I believe that others will come to, to be in prison as a result of what they have done to this woman, that we can't be looking at really helping her um, in these first weeks of pregnancy, of, of giving birth to the child, but rather we have separated her and the child. Mm-hmm. This, of course, makes her even more vulnerable, even more sad, mm-hmm. even more upset. When she actually was able to look after her five-year-old very mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. Um, and the five-year-old is currently with the with her sister.
0: Good gracious! But
1: it's it's so that's something else that we're, de- we're dealing right. with. I mean, this just you know this this is and this is just a day. This is just a day, but it, it's. It's our reality mm-hmm. at Christian Concern and the Christian mm-hmm. Legal Centre. It's mm-hmm. it's what we are dealing with mm-hmm. day in, yeah. um, day out.
0: And this is uh, you are one. You are pretty much you are the organisation who is doing this. You're not a, a church. You're coming alongside churches, standing for the Christian values which we had thought everyone would see as obvious. Yeah. But we're finding to our consistent shock and surprise, we have to fight for them.
1: Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. it, it I mean, when I was training to be a barrister um, in the mid nineteen eighties, if you if you'd ever said to me that um, that I would be defending teachers that lost their jobs because they said that marriage was between a man and a woman, or I would be defending teachers because uh, a maths teacher because he said "well done, girls" to a group of girls, but because one of them was identifying as a boy, he he was then suspended. If you if you if you had told me that this would be the reality. If you had told me that teachers or parents would be in trouble for not recognising that a, six, a six-year-old's chosen gender as opposed to their birth gender, and that I was seeing this in five church schools and that the Church of England's advice is that the child should be recognised in the acquired gender in the social transitioning, age five or six or seven. Mm. That, I mean, we're dealing with children that young. Mm. I would have said... Well, it would just have seemed like uh, something from another planet. Oh, yes. It It, can't, it couldn't right. have been a reality. That's right.
0: It's, fasc- it's, a, it's a fascinating moment, and I'm also even finding a uh, fascination that characters like Jordan Peterson coming yes. to the fore, where you've got an unbeliever who's saying, well, this is obviously wrong. and then, And a lot of unbelievers are saying you know, he's saying something, we're all thinking, but we're not allowed to think that. And so we're coming to a moment where the the dominant voices are so uh, insane. (laughs) And you've got mainstream comedians like Jerry Seinfeld saying, I'm not going to do university concerts anymore because the people are foraging for outrage. They want to be offended. And that's the new morality. When the gospel needs to define the nation's Values yeah. was was in, was was respected. We wouldn't have we didn't have these extraordinary and very disturbing uh, consequences. Now, um, Andrea, you began as now not a barista but a barrister.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never been a barista. I'm quite, an, I think I'd be quite a good one. I, it, I fun, interestingly enough, my um, my father is a, trained as a cordon bleu chef. This was after being, as the 10th child in post-war Italy, being um, put uh, into a seminary to get an education. And in fact, the path was for him to become a priest but as he always says, I was 16. I walked out into a piazza and I saw a pretty woman. I was no priest. <laughs> and so he then did actually become a cordon bleu chef. But oh, I have wow. to say, the priests gave him an incredible education. And to this day, my father loves classics. He loves languages. He loves philosophy, theology. He loves all of these things. But the, the, um, he became a cordon bleu chef. And he was travelling Europe with a view to going back to Italy. He came to Salisbury in England, where he was working in a fairly high-class restaurant at the time. And he was doing that, uh, what was, you know, the, it was crepe suzette. It was the flambe at the side of the table and the State diane. He was, uh, he, was quite a, he was quite a showman. He met my mum on their first date. He said, I would never marry an English woman. And one year later, they were married. And he's still here some uh, 55 years, oh, wow. uh, f- 55 years on. But I say this in that... Uh, he wasn't a barista, but what he went on to do was to save all his tips from that particular job. Oh. He bought his first house, oh. which was my first home. And then he and then again, he saved and he saved and he bought his first little business, which was a guest house in Portland in Dorset, mm-hmm. um, which he then um, extended. It became a hotel. Wow. And I grew up in the catering trade. Mm-hmm. And... I loved it. Mm-hmm. I mean, still to this day, one of my—I f- loved waitressing. I—I I, I grew oh. up wait. This is the barista thing. <laughs> I loved waitressing. I absolutely loved it. Oh. I grew up doing it all through my, when I was well preteen. When I was, I still remember when I was a little girl. I used to go into the breakfast uh, d- dining room. and I used to say, "Would you like?" orange juice or cornflakes? Would you like a fried breakfast or poached eggs on toast or scrambled eggs on toast? And would you like coffee or tea? That was my, that's what I used to say when I was seven or eight and I used to take the orders into my parents. So yes, it was a lot of fun growing oh, up, growing up in, a, in a business.
0: So how did you come to hear the gospel, Andrea?
1: Well, um, it was really in that first home that my father bought um, eight four acres in Portland in Dorset. Um, it's a peninsula, Portland, for those of uh, the listeners that might... Uh, uh, know know this, but um, the me- local Methodist Church sent a s- but a minibus around the the island and uh, around my estate, uh, to pick up the children to take them to Sunday school. Wow! And I was four, and I was one of the children that got that was put on the bus. Oh wow! And uh, I went to Eastern Methodist Sunday School, and there. Mrs. Hibbs told me all about Jesus, mm. and I fell in love with Jesus there and then. I oh. cannot remember. I can't remember a day when I have not loved him, mm. and I believed everything my Sunday school teacher told me, Mm-mm. and then um, that was Mrs. Hipps, and then, then I had Mrs. Atwell, Zoe Atwell, and then Mrs. Um, Hicks, and it was Mrs. Hicks who said to me that the best present I could ever have was a Bible and this was age seven, and I remember going home and asking my mum for a Bible. Wow. And I was given a Bible, and almost every day from that day to this, I've read my Bible. Wow. Um, and this was so formative, and it's what I'm really very deeply passionate about capturing the hearts of the, of the young children. Because then, it wasn't just myself, my sister, who was two and a half years younger than me, she became a, a Christian through this same work. And then, of course, my brother who followed sixteen years later, and my parents. Then through this, through the, through the so actually a family, uh, a family has is in the Lord, um, and then the, of course my children. But the, you know, so it's it's generational. The impact is generational mm. because of faithful Sunday school work, wonderful. and it is a wonderful story. Um, but my heart was absolutely captivated. Mm. Um, I've never really desired. I'm. I'm. I know for sure that I'm a sinner, but I have never desired to rebel. I've never wanted to rebel. I've mm. always been completely captivated mm-hmm. uh, by Jesus Christ, and you know, it's. Um, so
0: mm. that's a wonderful testimony <laughs> of a, yeah, it's, a, faith, it reminds a faithful,
1: a faithful. A faithful faithful Sunday school teachers. Right,
0: right. It reminds me of um, the old story of Mordecai Ham. You know of Mordecai yeah, Ham? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People think it was this, you know, he thought he had a particularly fruitful evangelistic outreach that time, but there was one guy who made a profession of faith, and it was yeah. Billy Graham. <laughs> and you do see, there's something wonderful also about the um, about the organic nature of the kingdom of God. Yes. Many of the pictures Jesus describes are of plants yes. and, and, and the area and so on. It's interesting, not least because when you make the comparison with other communities, you don't see the same natural growth. The significance of the the growth of the other significant religions in this country Mm -hmm. have not come through people necessarily seeing the beauty of them,
1: yes. you see
0: instead, you, you see um, either people convert to something you say, that isn't even the real thing, yes. or they are simply just born to it, yes. and there isn't something beautiful in that. Another thing interesting, on our tours at the British Museum recently, we've noticed as you go around, they, until quite recently, they had, um, they had uh, badges up saying, this exhibit is part of the LBGT um, tour. And you think, well, if, okay, let's compare the contribution of that community with the community of people who put their faith in the God of the Bible. And you're looking at the impact of you know, the, the very things you're describing the stabilizing influence of the kingdom of God in generations, the end of the slave trade, the establishment of good forms of government, free education for the poor, the hospitals, these kinds of things. There's an organic and a healthy thing which the kingdom of God has brought. Historically,
1: our men and our Yeah,
0: yes. And our,
1: I mean, in and again, what we see is not British, not just in the British Museum, but our our nation, and indeed, at the moment, this time that you're in the office here with me, it's the, it's the Commonwealth Games, the Commonwealth. What you what you see is an extraordinary hi- history mm. of the gospel going out, it's true. and and um, and the gospel which provides a freedom. For the citizens of a of a nation, I'm I'm unashamed and unabashed That's about the, mm-hmm. wanting to put you know the, the gospel at the at the forefront of public life because it is the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not coercive, mm-hmm. um, but at, but what it points people to um, is order, mm-hmm. good governance, mm-hmm. beauty, freedom. Mm-hmm. With, you know, freedom with restraint, of course, because actually, again, good morality, yeah. good morality um, helps the citizens A demoralize people as an unhappy people. And you know, this is the thing. You Amen. know, Amen. good morals, good frameworks mm-hmm. make for a happy people, a holy people, as a happy people, is what Amen. I say. We should Amen. be contending for that. Yes. And again, going back to the children, um, you know, what do we want for our children? Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, this is, this was supposed a challenge out on this podcast. I want to challenge the Christians everywhere, we've really got to look after our children in this very tough climate. Amen. We've got to keep our children safe, our children that are in our churches. Let's, let's really work out how we're going to keep them safe mm-hmm. um, in an environment which is increasingly hostile mm-hmm. um, to the Christian faith, even even in schools. Yes. And we can't expect them to go on the battlefield for us every day because one of the big battlefields is education. Mm. You know, this is, this is not something we can... Do we as parents, do we as people that are in the church really think we can put our kids into a place which is so difficult it's, we've got to really be thinking about how yes. we're going
0: to help our kids. Yes, yes, it's a, it, that's the, uh, the, the battleground. Is, 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 I heard someone ma- preaching a sermon years ago about how when Elijah lived with the woman and the widow and her son, yes. the name of the place where they lived was called Zarephath, yeah. which means crucible. Yeah. And crucible is a place where there's massive pressure. And he made the point, and it's been a very powerful point to my life, that's where there's the pressure in the home. Yeah. It's not that you go home and it's easy. It's there you find you are up against people who you love, and because you love, the, the implications of their errors are so huge to you, and it's, it's their pressure is intense in the home. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating that, uh, again and again, on a small scale, London's history has been shaped by people who have been faithful with the small things. Absolutely. You see, think of, look at John Newton, the way he cared for his... his uh, Orphaned niece, so going every day to Bedlam and waving, but yes. no one else was caring for her. He'd wave, and he, she knew there's someone out there who loves me. His, pre, his grace didn't end with preaching in yeah. his case; it, it, meant it involved the family relationships. So, who are people who, have uh, from history, who have influenced or encouraged you? Is there anyone or are there people? From well, I think
1: history? it's multiple. I think it's really hard to. to um, to choose one, um, when you, and particularly when you look at the, the great history that we have in if the, this nation. If you think of any member of the Clapham Sect, for, for mm-hmm. instance, the part that each one of them had uh, had to play. Um, uh, if we, um, if you, someone or someone like um, John Newton or Charles Simeon or John John and Charles Wesley, given my uh, given where I came to faith or Shaftesbury. I mean, it's all of these. It, Extraordinary men, um, men and women of uh, of God, um, but if you, I suppose, as a living history, I go back to my Sunday school teachers because after Mrs Hibbs and Zoe Atwell and Mrs Hicks came Mr Hicks, who was married to Mrs, obviously married to Mrs Hicks, but he was my Sunday school act teacher throughout my teenage years. He was a humble man, a stonemason but I know that I knew that his pattern of life was to pray every morning before very early before he went to work starting at sort of six or seven o'clock in the morning and I knew that he would get down on his knees and pray every every morning and I knew that he prayed for all the children in his Sunday school um, every day mm. and I knew all of my life that I was prayed for by Mr. Hicks. <sighs> Wow. And and so I this man in my life who he was very proper He was he was he, he you know Sunday was more was very smart in his suit. But he was and he was very um just just proper not not highly educated but he loved the lord and he loved me mm. and he loved the children in his care and um he was very faithful and I know I know that he really prayed for me. Mm. And so when I grew up and when I qualified and when I went back to Portland, I would always go and see Mr. Hicks. And I knew that he continued to pray for me every day of his life until the day he died. Mm. And so that's an extraordinary influence in my life Mm. of Mm. someone who's not known in history. Mm. But I know that I could travel the whole of the world and not find a a more faithful man or Mm. a more humble man Mm. than Mr. Hicks. So Mm. in terms of this big influence in in, in the, the big this big influence in my life, I have to go back to Albert Hicks of mm. Eastern Methodist Church. But of course, I do look at these great figures in in history who have done lifelong pursuits. And what they've done is they've as you've, as you said, is always faithful with the small things today. And had sometimes what looks like failure after failure in public life. And in the end, when we look at the whole of their life, that we see. God's purpose for it and we're seeing things change as a result of it and I think that we have as Christians at this time, particular time we have to cling on to the Lord Jesus Christ cling on to the uh, cling on passionately Mm -hmm. um, to the truth that is found only in and through him Mm -hmm. and we have to be prepared to proclaim that we have Mm -hmm. to seek justice Mm -hmm. Uh, we have to seek truth in the streets where it's failing, Mm -hmm. we have to continue to proclaim it Mm -hmm. and we have to do what we can do, what God has called us to do this day. So I've given you uh, what we're doing today. I've given you the (laughs) example of the cases that we uh, are actually dealing with today, this day. I'm seeking to be faithful. I'm seeking, the team here is being faithful to that today alongside doing a few other things that we do. But we are seeking to do that. We're seeking to raise up a next generation through our World Force Academy. We're seeking to write books so that people understand. We want to awaken or to bring some of this stuff to the church. We're seeking to be faithful. And I think sometimes it might look like we're falling flat on our face. Mm. or maybe sometimes we actually do. But uh, the heart here is to serve him mm. with courage and wisdom. Mm. To do the right thing, to do justice, to pursue truth and to speak of his truth. And no- knowing that he will outwork his purposes. Amen. I'm sometimes, I'm amazed that I'm sitting here opposite you. Mm. I am amazed that the Lord has given us these offices. Amen. I'm amazed that we um, have a team of mm. 25. This is all the Lord's work. It's His doing that mm. we're here.
0: It's a fascinating thing. You consider the um, similarly, when you look at, of course, Wilberforce, will be someone we would both respect a great yes. deal. In his life, the king hated him. Yeah. Thought he was some pious uh, hypocrite. But I've seen a very it's a beautiful photograph of his statue in Westminster Abbey and looking up at it with great veneration is this little old lady. Yeah. And it's the Queen. Yeah. You see, in his time, Wilberforce is sneered at and people don't get him and so on. But he continues, he continues, and he continues to fight. And, uh, and they, they love him because he's so heartfelt. Oh, dear, you know, he actually means it. You see? Yeah. But in later generations, kings and queens say... Wow, Wilberforce, well is Yes. And uh, in his own, I believe it was you know, one of the great prime ministers, even in his own time, said, if we can get this through, it would be the greatest thing I have ever done in politics. Yeah. So, yes, you see the, the, the value of the fight. Yes, I, re- I saw a fascinating thing yesterday. Tim Keller said, he said that um, we should not wait for good feelings before we do something. Many times it's when you are doing the thing that the Lord supplies the feelings. Yes, it's a fascinating trait. How have you found that um, that dynamic have you found that to be the case because you're unusually invested
1: yes there is grace for today there's Mm. there is always grace um, for today and I think there is I think lots of things wouldn't have happened unless we had just done them and it's very often being presented with something and there is a clear choice of right or wrong Mm -hmm. a clear choice of walking away or not Mm. you know who will defend the teacher that loses their job because Mm. they give their testimony Mm. Um, if that comes to me as a Christian lawyer I was called to the Inner Temple in 1988, and I practised in criminal fa- and family law for eight years prior to the birth of the first of Gareth and I's four children. But during that time, was also beginning to work very much with the Lawyers Christian Fellowship. And it was really in those years, the late 80s, early 90s, with the, the advent of human rights legislation really beginning to gain ground, that we began to see that our framework for law was shifting away from being set... In Christian principles, and um, and I began to speak out on this. um, Really, not because I was prophetic, but because I was a lawyer, and I was just looking at the conflict of rights. I was looking at what we were being obliged to agree with, and that was not biblical. And I could see that there were going to be issues. So I think going back to uh, sort of finishing that part of my testimony, it was it was to say that the Lord. Assign me a task. The Lord put all of this in my heart. So the reason why I'm sitting here today, the reason Mm -hmm. why we're doing these cases today is because the Lord knew, because the Lord put me on a Sunday school bus, Mm -hmm. because the Lord put that desire in my heart. But more than anything, more than all things, I've always loved him Mm -hmm. and wanted to serve him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there will be, there are, it's interesting, isn't it? As I get older, I recognise um my flaws and my faults you know so keenly i'm so aware of it but my heart's desire has always been to serve him mm-hmm. and i do see that this this work is his mm-hmm. this is nothing um This is nothing of me. This is not my my design. This was about first of all doing a case when the first case was the University of Exeter when the religion, the Christian Union was thrown out of the student union. Uh-huh. And th- I said, remember saying to the board of the Lawyers Christian Fellowship at the time, this is what we are born for. This is what we are meant to do. And that's how the Christian Legal Center was born. I often document how the laws have moved away from Christian values and Christian principles. And I think that what I've been fighting is, and where I thought the answer might be, is I thought the Cultural Revolution was in the laws or in Parliament. And if we could hold back bad laws, the you know, the country might yet come back to Christ. If we could stop the bad laws coming, mm-hmm. um, then the, the country would come back. And so that's where I've spent my life. Mm-hmm. And what's been dawning on me, I'm sad that it's come to me so late, um, but it's in the last, definitely the last year to two years is the cultural revolution isn't isn't to be fought in the law or Mm -hmm. or or, we've got to stand strong there god has only got his people the cultural revolution has got to happen in the the church Mm -hmm. i mean it's the church that has to understand the chimes it's the church that has to capture because actually we are meant to be the we are meant to be the in the city on the hill Mm -hmm. We're meant to model and be, and we're meant, and this is what we're meant to be pointing people to.
0: Mm. It's a, the people who actually have the opportunity to shine. They will have an opportunity, but it will, will require courage, and that is something which you find um, it's sad. You think of characters like Spurgeon, who made a stand, knowing he would be shot down, and was yeah. shot down. And, uh, and many of these people were uh, derided in their time. And think of what was said about J.C. Ryle, and the things that were said against Jonathan Edwards. Interestingly, if you try and find the name of their critics yeah no one knows anything about them yeah but what you do find is that the people who did make the stand are the people who you name your kids after
1: yeah I think what I find fascinating when you just name those sorts of people not when I and when I read about them and they're all heroes to me of course is that I used to think how could they have locked you know how could they have locked these men out of the churches mm. and I suddenly realized one, one day it was a little while ago now when we were getting well, in a sense, locked out of the churches, mm-hmm. some of the churches. Not, we get disinvited. Now, I, I've been disinvited several times from churches. Um, it's I realized that I realised it happens really quietly. Mm-hmm. And whilst, um, so when we were, remo- we, we were told that we couldn't hold our marriage conference, making the case for marriage, one man, one woman, making the case for marriage for the good of society, this was before uh, the redefining of marriage. We, we were told that it breached the equality policy of the law society and then it breached the quality equality policy of the government building that we were in and I turned around to look for the church mm-hmm. and the church I mean the church wasn't the, the, the church wasn't there you just turn around to look for the support and and no one was there I was thinking how people get excluded mm-hmm. um, is really quietly
0: mm-hmm similar to um, what was going on in this country when when slavery was allowed to happen. I was fascinated to see, uh, we put some, we often commemorate uh, historic dates on social media and I put something up um, on Facebook and I noticed actually someone even wrote underneath it, Wilberforce, I've heard of him. He was the guy who was caring about African slaves when we had loads of poor in our country. It was amazing to see that perspective, that people still believing that in our time, because that was yes. what he was up against in his own time. And, it's, uh, and, and you realise... But he did make the stand. And if you read the, the history of the Indian... I read a fascinating history of the Indian Ocean, and you'd find that because the law was passed in London... The Royal Navy then prosecuted that law internationally, and yeah. the world was changed. Yeah. So here in this country, you've got people still saying, "Oh, who really cares?" You know, these and his, there was a long-reaching um, uh, effect. Another fellow I spoke to, a bloke called T- uh, Peter Adams, recently, who said, "One of the things the Royal Force did was he he agitated for there to be chaplains sent to Australia, and that they must be evangelical." And he yes. just fought for that, just quietly, you know, just quietly, and I know. then it happened.
1: And when I was in Australia, I saw these places where they they where uh, works were set up, where people squares where people preached. Mm-hmm. I was actually yes, when I was did a. Was invited to do a tour there with Family Voice Australia. Mm-hmm. But I think if we're going about the chaplaincy thing, let's just, 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 again, that's one of our cases, isn't it, at the moment? Mm-hmm. Pastor Paul Song. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: 20 years of ministry in Brixton Prison. Remember chaplaincy, the child chaplaincy movement um, to these places where people's life is at low ebb. What's going to change and transform them for good?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: only Jesus. Mm-hmm. Only Jesus. And Pastor Paul Song has been doing that work, volunteering in that prison for 19 years, Um, goes in there two or three times a week, got a huge following. We have many witness statements, and and ex-prisoners have been here talking about the impact of Pastor Song on their life, or Jesus on their life, because Mm. of of meeting Pastor Song. But the new chaplain appointed is an imam. Mm. So we've got an imam in the prison. Mm. Now, one-third of the prisoners are Muslim, that we've got evidence that there are forced conversions going on in the prison, favours for Muslims, I'm just this is this is what's going on in Brixton Prison
0: mm.
1: and the Christian the, we, the witness through the week has been eliminated
0: mm.
1: Mm. and we're seeking to get it restored, mm-hmm. I was actually with Pastor Song in his church on Sunday the Sunday just gone it's fantastic, let mm-hmm. me just say it's amazing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and one of the young men that's there Looking beautiful and clean and smart, hmm. with a suit and a tie on, and who he, uh, he came to these offices last summer, picked up by Pastor song because he was sleeping rough wow in the just outside the church. Hmm. Um, he came here, Pastor song has discipled him, mentored him, he is there now in that church, training under Pastor song in the church they have uh, Um, a place where they sleep, the homeless. I mean, pass the song is the real deal.
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: And, you know, we're seeing lives change, and yet it's this kind of person that is being punished. Yes,
0: yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, his story was... uh, It was was also made the national press slightly, but also you guys did very well um, using the social media platforms to to alert us to simply the black and white facts. Yeah. Is there... Yeah. (laughs) And and, And that's what you guys do so exceptionally well. You're bringing people's attention to facts, which we would not know because we're being told that, um, that we're, we're just increasingly being told that the church is, is bad news for the culture. And instead, uh, you're yeah, you're bringing up places where, and this is where we're being shot down. Now, uh, finally, what would your advice be then, Andrea, to people in our time? Is there something you're noticing is coming up a lot at the moment, or is it something you wish you'd known ten years ago? Is there something?
1: Let's not lose our nation. Mm. Let's Let's really love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's be bold and not ashamed of the gospel, and not in your know, the gospel. It's all the righteousness and the beauty that flows from that. Mm. You know, it's not being ashamed of Jesus and His words, mm. and His words that point us to beauty and moral truth and wholeness, and healing. Let's believe if we believe the gospel then there is a reality of heaven and hell. Mm. And this there's, that is stark truth. And if we love, if we believe that, and if we believe that everyone's eternal destination hangs on that, um, then we will be compelled, surely, uh, to speak. But, I mean, that's I'm compelled to speak because I care passionately about um, the eternal salvation of every man and woman that I meet. Mm. And I care passionately about our families mm-hmm. and our communities and this nation. Mm. And so let's not be ashamed of Jesus Christ, mm. not should be ashamed of his word. Let's pursue righteousness. Let's pursue truth. Mm-hmm. There is still enough of us in this nation. The Lord only requires a few. Mm-hmm. So let us pray, let us cry out to him Mm. that we might see this nation come back to Jesus Christ, Mm. that we may see many uh, know him, love him, and pursue his beauty.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for being the group that is standing in the gap. Thank you. For serving the church as you're doing in this unique way. And thank you for your time and for telling us.
1: You're welcome. Thank you.